you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to John chapter 5. We're going to soon be taking a break. We've been going through the book of John. We're going to take a break over the summer after we get through all of chapter 5. So a couple more weeks yet in John chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 15 verses of that here this morning. And I doubt, I'm not even going to ask because I doubt that there's anybody living here today and in, in here with us today who could say you're living a totally, completely carefree, worry-free life. Right, that that's just not maybe maybe grace and maybe a couple of other infants because everybody does everything for them. But as soon as you get just a little bit older than that, you start to get concerned about stuff, right? And as we live life in this world, there's much for us to be concerned about. So I ask you this: What are you concerned about? Even as we gather together today, some of you are concerned about things going on in your own life. You're concerned about your health. Maybe there's reasons for concern about your marriage or your job. You're concerned about your future or something about your financial situation right now leaves you concerned. Maybe you're here this morning concerned more about someone else. Concerned about some other member of our church family. You're concerned about the failing health of one of your parents. You're concerned about a child who's living apart from Jesus. Or maybe you watch the news too much and you're concerned about what's going on in the world and you could list a lot of things under that. Maybe you're concerned about rapid moral change in our culture, false teaching in the church, violence, politics, abortion, war, famine, corruption, abuse. There's a lot of things that you could be and maybe ought to be concerned about, right? Today we're going to be in John chapter 5. Jesus has been going back and forth from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. And it's been a joy, I think, to get to know our Savior better as we walk through the Gospel of John. In today's passage, we're going to see some people who are concerned about some things. We're going to see, first of all, some people who are concerned about their own health, physical struggles that they're enduring. They're concerned about that. We're going to see some people who are really concerned that their religious laws and traditions are being kept. And then we're going to see that Jesus seems to be concerned, yes, about those things, but also about something even much deeper. What is it that Jesus is concerned about? What is it that we should be concerned about? I hope that we can answer some of those questions as we look at John chapter 5 today. And so, if you're able to, our custom is that we stand as we read the Word of God, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, let's pray and then read the word. Father, would you now, by your Holy Spirit, help us to set aside things. Our minds are prone to wander into lots of different places. Our hearts are prone to hardness and coldness. Would you come and soften us? Would you help us to hear clearly and to believe and to obey? By the power of your Spirit dwelling in all who believe, please do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 5, 1 through 15, God's word says this, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 
when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. So they asked him, Who is the man that said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Amen. You can be seated. As always in your bulletin, there is a, a spot for you to take notes if that's helpful to keep your mind engaged and maybe even to look back at some things later. Also some application questions there. And we start out with the first point, which is this, concerned about physical suffering and healing. That's what we see in these opening verses. There's a whole lot of need here in this place. So in verse 1, we're told that Jesus now from Galilee has come back down to the region of Judea in Jerusalem because this is where feasts would take place. Now, being down in Jerusalem for a feast, the feast would not have taken place at this pool called Bethesda. So Jesus, for a time, is excusing himself from the festivities going on in Jerusalem, and he is going to a place where there happens to be a whole lot of need. We're told by John that this uh, pool, which in Aramaic was called Bethesda, is this place in Jerusalem with five roof colonnades. More than likely, it was a naturally fed spring. And there, you would find a multitude of people with a variety of disabilities. Some blind, lame, paralyzed. I didn't look up this week the difference between lame and paralyzed. I'm not sure what that is, but that's interesting. But he lists, here's people with various disabilities, and they're all gathered around this pool. So not the kind of pool like with a water slide and diving board uh, that people want to hang out at. This is a pool where people would hang out when they had a disability. Now, you might wonder, where's verse 4? Did you notice that as you read through that in your Bible? Depending on your translation, your translation might include verse 4. Most of them do not. Your translation might have verse 4 in parentheses, or your translation might have verse 4 way down on the bottom in a footnote. Okay? The reason is, I don't, I don't have time for a long explanation of this, but the earliest and most reliable manuscripts, most of them do not include verse 4. And so it seems that perhaps John didn't originally write what was tagged verse 4, but that those who were copying it so that people who were reading John's gospel would better understand why all these people were hanging out at this pool, inserted verse 4, which tells us uh, that the belief was an angel of the Lord will occasionally come down and stir the waters, and the first person in the waters, when the waters were stirred, would be healed. Okay, And so that's what verse 4 would say if that's what the Holy Spirit inspired, inspired John 
to write. And because we're just not sure, we want to be honest about it. And so it's either in parentheses or in a footnote in your translation. Regardless, there were a number of people with disabilities laying around this pool and were told of one man. One man in particular had been disabled for 38 years. Imagine that. 38 years of living with a disability. And now in our day, it's still hard to live with a disability. But there are a number of accommodations that we have for people living with disability that they didn't have in that day. Okay? There wasn't like disability pay that this guy would get. There were not special parking places and nice wheelchairs or whatever else. This man was disabled at a time where it was especially hard to be disabled. And he had lived that way for 38 years. Next week, I celebrate my 38th birthday. Okay, 38 years feels like kind of a long time. And I can imagine it would feel even longer if you had that entire time been disabled. We don't know if he's a 38-year-old who's been disabled his whole life or somebody who became disabled later on and is now older than that, but we're told there was a man who had had a disability for 38 years. And he's sitting amongst many other people who also had disabilities. Verses 6 through 9, we see that Jesus is concerned. When Jesus saw him lying there, imagine this man. Jesus sees him lying there, knew that he had already been there a long time. We were told at the end of John chapter 2 that Jesus knows what's in the heart of men. And we've seen over and over so far that Jesus knows things that nobody else would know. Jesus knows that out of all these people laying there, there's this one man who's been there for a long time, and Jesus goes right to him. And he says to this man, do you want to be healed? I want to be healed. Now, The obvious answer to that question would be yes, that's why he's here at this pool of Bethesda. But I think as Jesus asks him this question, the man's answer reveals what's in the man's heart, how he expects that he might be healed. And so do you see that in verse 7? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. So he doesn't straight out answer Jesus' question. He doesn't just say, yes, I want to be healed. He kind of complains a little bit, giving an excuse as to why he hasn't been healed yet. He's trusting that getting in the pool first would would heal him. But his problem is everybody else who's there also wants to be healed. And he ain't got a friend. So when the pool is stirred up, this man who's disabled is probably not going to be able to get in there first. Right? And so he just says that to Jesus kind of complaining. He might be discouraged. If I was living with a disability and all the challenges that come with it for 38 years, I might be discouraged too, feeling kind of hopeless. (laughs) Here's what I can do. I can get in the water, but I can't get in the water because no one's here to help me. I'm all alone. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, now, not a lot of pomp. He's not laying his hand. Jesus just says words to him. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. That's all it takes. Jesus telling this man who for 38 years hadn't been able to walk, laying on a mat. If he got anywhere, it's because somebody drug him there or he drug himself across the, the dirt. And now Jesus tells him, get up, 
take up your bed and walk. This bed was probably just a, a bed made up of straw that could be rolled up and taken to different places. In verse 9, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. What would that have been like? You've been on a car trip, right? Where you're sitting for like three, four hours in your car. You get out at a gas station or a rest stop. You're like, it's like you've never walked before, right? And you're grateful nobody knows you because you're like making grunting noises and, and just like trying to, trying to make sure your body still works. You just sat in the car for like three hours and you're doing that. This guy hasn't walked for 38 years. Jesus gives him the word, get up, take up your bed and walk, and the guy's walking. Incredible. Would have been great to see this. And don't you love that Jesus is concerned? He's there for a feast of the Jews, and the feast ain't happening at Bethesda. But Jesus goes where there's a multitude of people with disabilities. And he finds one. So a couple points of application before we move on. One is I think we need to be concerned about the physical suffering of other people. right? That we who are followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, ought to also be concerned about the physical suffering of other people. And, and recognizing that I don't know of anybody in our church who has been given by the Holy Spirit the supernatural gift of healing, but we do all know the Jesus who heals. And so one thing we ought to do is we ought to be diligent in praying for those who are suffering physically. So every week in our bulletin we have a spot where we list, here's some people with physical needs that we could be praying for. That's one thing we ought to do. To care for those who have physical needs, pray for healing. Recognizing, even as we pray, though, that God may not have, His will may not be to heal every one of them. Did you notice that about this passage? Jesus enters a place filled with a multitude of people with disabilities, but John tells us that He goes to only one of those and heals one of those. Certainly, Jesus would be able to heal every one of those, but it's not always the will of God that everyone be healed. His purposes sometimes go above what we would think would be best. Right? So we need to pray for healing. Also, go to where there's a need and provide what you can. I would ask you to consider this. Do you have a neighbor who has some sort of physical need? Do you have a family member who you could find ways to serve, to humble yourself and serve them in some physically helpful way. I think of, if I try to think of, we don't have like a pool in town. The pool in town is, well, once it opens finally, will be populated uh, by children there for recreation for the most part. But if you think about where in town do we have a place where a lot of people who are dealing with physical suffering and disabilities, where, where do people like that hang out? Uh, the only place I could really think of is the nursing homes here in town, right? In many ways, uh, people that are physically suffering in different ways are gathered together in Scenic Manor and in Heritage Care Center right here in our town. Is there, just practically, is there a way we could go to where multitudes of people who are sick are and minister to their needs in some way? Some are called to do that uh, as your vocation, as a job. Others, are there ways that we could do that? We got to spend last Sunday afternoon doing the worship service at Scenic Manor. And those of you that have spent time at a nursing home, you know not everything there and most things there are not very glamorous, right? 
you deal with, with all sorts of things that can kind of seem uh, humbling in so many ways. But is that a spot where God could call you to do something, to go and to make a visit? Our Sunday school kids are going to go do that in, I think, a couple of weeks. Going to go over to Heritage Care Center, sing some songs during Sunday school, and just encourage some residents there. Are there ways that we could do that? Go to where there's a need, provide what you can. And then recognizing this, I, I thought of this as I read verse 7. This, this, I think it was verse 7, right, that tells us when this guy's given his excuse, here's why I'm not well. I want to get in the pool because that's how you get made well, but no one's here to help me. Isn't it true that all of those other people there with disabilities, who are they most concerned about? Themselves. And when we get focused on our own needs, it's really easy to get blinded to the needs of other people around us. Everybody's looking out for themselves. Isn't that so natural for us as humans? So recognizing that the more and more I focus on my own needs and my own suffering, I might be ne- neglecting opportunities to help people around me. Okay, little point of application. Now, I want to continue on in the passage, though, because very quickly we're going to look at this. Not much of a, a point to be made here because of time, but I do want to quickly look at verses 9b through 12 where we see there's others who are concerned about religious rule keeping. So we read this. Now that day was the Sabbath. It would have been a Saturday. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. So rather than celebrating with this man who's now walking after 38 years of being disabled, they're scolding him because he's carrying his bed on Saturday. How dare he? Right? And so they're trying to be faithful. They're religious people that are trying to be faithful. And certainly, is there a command of God in the law that they should honor the Sabbath, keep a Sabbath? Yes. Now, over time, they were trying to understand what that meant, and they made up all sorts of rules that kind of got added to and traditions that got added to the law, including you can't walk with your mat on the Sabbath. And so they see this guy, and rather than celebrating with him that he's walking, they're scolding him for walking with his mat. And he seeks to shift the blame. He doesn't want to get in trouble. So he says, well, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Like, well, I'm just doing what I was told, right? And so they want to get somebody in trouble, so they ask him, well, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk, right? Somebody's going to have to pay for this offense of, of walking with a mat on a Saturday, Okay. Somebody's going to have to pay for this. So there's some people, and there's people still in our day, their main concern is not the physical suffering of other people, not, not anything about eternity. Their, their main concern is about religious rule keeping. Right? So we see that here. And what are they missing out on? They're missing out on seeing God's miraculous work standing right in front of their face because they're so concerned about rule keeping They're missing out on seeing how God has been at work in ways that are maybe out of the ordinary. Let's not be people like that. Let's not be people who have such a a, a neat little box that everything in our life fits into that we miss out on seeing the miraculous, out-of-the-ordinary work of God right in front of us every day. Let's go on to the final point. The final point, we're going to look at verses 13 to 15, talking about a concern we see about sin and its consequences. Verse 13 says this, Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. So they ask him, well, who's the man who, who did this? Who told you to get up and walk? Who healed you? 
He didn't know. Jesus had withdrawn. There was a crowd in that place. So he didn't even know who it was that healed him. And it seems like he doesn't even go out to look for him because it tells us then that afterward Jesus found him in the temple. He didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. And then listen to what Jesus says. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. In verse 15, the man then goes away and tells on Jesus, told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. But that phrase, what Jesus chooses to say to this man, see your well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that this man's 38 years of physical disability and suffering were due to a particular sin in his life. We have to say it's possible that Jesus is saying that. He's seeming to make a connection between sin and this man's disability. Is that always the case? Are people disabled because of a sinful choice? No. We're going to see that clearly in John chapter 9. But is that sometimes, is that a possibility that that could be because of some sort of sinful action that led to physical suffering? Is that possible? Yes, of course That's possible. But what we can say for sure is this, that Jesus is making the point that sin leads to bad consequences. Can we say that for sure, that that's what what we know for sure Jesus is saying here? Sin leads to bad consequences. And when I say bad consequences, Jesus is comparing the consequences of sin to being worse than dealing with physical disability for 38 years. Remember, if you're putting yourself in this guy's shoes, you know what that maybe feels like a little bit. To to be 38 years dealing with physical suffering, and for Jesus then to come and to say to that man, you need to stop sinning, or you're going to have much worse consequences than even 38 years of physical suffering. You see that there in the passage? I think what Jesus is referring to, Jesus is referring to final judgment. We see that as we look at ahead at the passage we're going to look at next week, where Jesus has been given authority by the Father to judge. Jesus has authority to say to this man, if you continue on in sin, I'm telling you that the suffering that you will endure as bad as 38 years of physical disability was for you, the suffering that you will endure if you continue on in your sin is going to be much worse than that. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So I heard this phrase a number of years ago that stuck with me. I don't hear a lot of things that stick with me for a long time, but this phrase, as Christians we care about all suffering especially eternal suffering. Think about that for a second. As Christians, we care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. And so I looked up this week, where did that come from? I heard that somewhere, it stuck with me. Where did I hear that? came from uh, an address that John Piper made to a large group of people in 2010. And here's the whole context of that quote. 
He says this, could the evangelical church say, we Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering? I hope we can say that. But if we feel resistant to saying, especially eternal suffering, or if we feel resistant to saying we care about all suffering in this age, then either we have a defective view of hell or a defective heart. You get what he's saying? That that you might like, well, should we say especially eternal suffering or should we just kind of care about all? No. If you, if you not, are not comfortable with saying we should care especially about eternal suffering, then you have a defective view of hell. Because if you think hunger on this earth is worse than eternal suffering in hell, then you don't have a right understanding of hell. But if you can have this right understanding of hell, but look at physical suffering on earth like people dealing with hunger and say, like, I don't care about that, there's something wrong as well. Right? And so we should be able to say both of those things. We care about all suffering, but we care especially about eternal suffering. I thought of that as I went through this passage and thought about application because there are many things in the world to be concerned about, aren't there? And we ought to be concerned about physical suffering. Not only physical suffering that we ourselves endure, but the physical suffering of many other people. We ought to be concerned about that. Now, some Jews were concerned about religious rule keeping. We need to make sure that we're not so wrapped up in in our kind of little box that we miss out on the miraculous work of God right in front of our faces. But in this passage, I think Jesus shows that he cares about all suffering especially eternal suffering. You see that in this passage? That Jesus cares about all suffering. He tells a man disabled for 38 years to get up, take up his bed, and to walk. And the man does. Jesus cares about physical suffering, but then Jesus says to this very same man, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. So we ought to, as we just talked about a lot in this Sunday school class we did, we ought to care about the vulnerable people among us, care about the suffering of those living in poverty, to care about the suffering of the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, the poor, the vulnerable, the unborn living among us. We ought to care about that. So we may not and cannot and should not ignore physical suffering around us. We should care about that. But we also ought to care maybe even more about the reality of eternal suffering. That there are right now billions of people on the face of this planet, some of them living in totally unreached people groups, who if they do not hear clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent of their sins and believe, they are headed to a destiny of eternal suffering. Do we care about that? We as Christians ought to care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. And the good news, the good news is that because of His great love for us, Jesus willingly took our sin on Himself as He suffered under the weight of sin and the just wrath of God that we could be set free from an eternity of suffering. And instead, enter into an eternity of joy forever with Him. And so, 
I want to, before we take communion, give you an invitation to come to Christ. And I hope that as you hear this, that those of you who have not yet responded to an invitation to come to Christ would be moved by the Holy Spirit to do that. So after I read, because I'm actually going to read something to you, rather than use my own words, I'm going to use the words of a pastor from the 1800s that I think are really powerful as an invitation. I want you to hear this. And if it's an invitation you've already responded to, you trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, then I want you to think about how you could extend this invitation to somebody else. Who in your life, maybe they're enduring physical suffering, but you know that the path they're on is leading them to a path of eternal suffering. Who could you invite to come to faith in Christ? I want you to hear this invitation. This is from a man named J.C. Ryle. It says this, But I do bid you to come to Christ and be saved. The day of decision must come sometime. Why not this very hour? Why not today? While it's still called today. Why not this very night before the sun rises tomorrow morning? Come to Him who died for sinners on the cross and invites all sinners to come to Him by faith and be saved. Come to my Master, Jesus Christ. Come, I say, for all things are now ready. Mercy is ready for you. Heaven is ready for you. Angels are ready to rejoice over you. Christ is ready to receive you. Christ will receive you gladly and welcome you among his children. Come into the ark. The flood of God's wrath will soon break upon the earth. Come into the ark and be safe. Come into the lifeboat of the one true church. This old world will soon break into pieces. Hear you not the tremblings of it? The world is but a wreck, hard upon a sandbank. The night is far spent. The waves are beginning to rise. The wind is getting up, and the storm will soon shatter this old wreck. But the lifeboat is launched, and we, the ministers of the gospel, beseech you to come into the lifeboat and be saved. We beseech you to arise at once and come to Christ. Do you ask, how can I come? My sins are too many. I'm too wicked yet, I dare not come. Away with that thought. It's a temptation of Satan. Come to Christ as a sinner. Come just as you are. Hear the words of that beautiful hymn. Just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. And that you bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. This is the way to come to Christ. You should come. Waiting for nothing, tarrying for nothing. You should come as a hungry sinner to be filled, as a poor sinner to be enriched, as a bad, undeserving sinner to be clothed with righteousness. So coming, Christ would receive you. Him that comes to Christ will in no way be cast out. So come, come to Jesus Christ. I'm going to just be silent for a moment before I close in prayer. And give you a moment, if the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart, to, as a sinner, come to Christ. Not holding back and not trying to justify, but confessing your own sin. And being received into the arms of a loving Father. I'm going to do that, and after a couple of moments, I'll pray.
Father, I don't know what people came in here concerned about this morning. But God, I pray that you would help us as your people to be more and more concerned with all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. If there was somebody who in these moments of silence responded to the invitation to come to Christ and be saved, we know that angels are now rejoicing in heaven over that, and I pray that they would share that good news with someone else that we might also rejoice with them. And God, I pray for all of us who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, that you would well up in us a deep concern for people around us who do not yet know Jesus, that we might also invite them to come to Christ. Thank you for the opportunity we'll have now to, as your people gather together to eat the bread and drink the cup, to be reminded of how it is that we were saved. Not by our own works, but by the work of Christ on the cross. Help us to remember that and give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.